reaching the end of a job interview, the HR person asked the young accountant who was fresh out of school, uh, what starting salary are you expecting were we to hire you? And the accountant fresh out of school said, well, I figure in the neighborhood of a hundred grand would be a good starting point. Of course, needs a good benefits package too, so that might, might uh, change some things as well. And the interviewer said, well, let's see, benefits package. Well, what would you say to uh, a package of, of five weeks vacation, full medical and dental, a company-funded 401k, up to 50% of your salary, profit-related pay, flex time, and a company car leased every two years, say maybe a new BMW? And the young man said, wow, are you kidding? And he said, yeah, but you started it. Sometimes things are too good to be true, but not in the Bible. Uh, It may seem like that. We're pretty cynical these days. Things are usually not as good as they first appear, but that's not true in the Bible. And we need to know that as we approach the book of Romans again this week. Uh, I want to hit the highlights to bring you up to speed uh, uh, to make sure that uh, that we're all on the same page here. We've been walking through uh, the, the book of Romans and we're actually out of the first chapter now and we're actually skipping the second chapter and we're going to dive into the middle of the third chapter, believe it or not. So uh, anyway, that will, uh, just to bring you up to speed and to kind of walk you through from, from the beginning up until where we're, we'll jump in today. Uh, Romans is a letter. It's, we call it a book of the Bible, but it's really a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Rome. These are people that he had never met, but uh, he had heard about them and heard about their faith, a, a good, strong church. Uh, it, and he's writing this letter about 20 years after Jesus uh, was, uh, was crucified and raised from the dead. In chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul gives an overview of where he's going in the letter. And he's, he's talking about this, this awesome and, and powerful good news of the gospel uh, that, is, that is all about salvation uh, by faith for everyone. And then uh, last week we saw, uh, after verses 16 and 17, immediately then in verse 18, uh, Paul, so 16 and 17 says, all this, all this great news, good stuff, God's revealing his righteousness and, and it's by uh, faith to anyone who believes. And then verse 18 says what the wrath of God is being revealed as well to everyone who is sinful. And so, uh, so then we, we walked through that last week about how, how, uh, uh, how, uh, People are sinful, uh, and their sin has its consequences, and that we're all guilty. And uh, and literally, uh, we we stopped at the end of chapter one. But literally, we uh, I don't know if you've read ahead or not, but uh, uh, all of chapter two and the first uh, twenty verses of chapter three are all about sin and the consequences of sin. And uh, Paul explains to both the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, those with the law of Moses, the Jews, and those without the law of Moses, the non-Jews or the Gentiles. Uh, he, he says, you know what? You're all in the same boat. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You're all in the same boat because we've all sinned and and uh, whether you've you've been following the law or you've not been following the law or you don't even know what the law is it doesn't matter we've all we're all in the same boat and, and the Jews in in the church in Rome probably would have thought up to that point that maybe they were a little more special than the non-Jews because they had this law of the Old Testament and they could follow these uh, these certain laws that God had established and so therefore God might love them a little more than these other folks that are kind of outsiders But Paul goes to great pains through those two chapters to make sure that everyone in that first century church knew that they were on level ground. 
and it wasn't looking good. (laughs) Humanity was facing sin and its consequences. He says the wrath of God is being revealed to both Jews and Gentiles. And then we come to Romans 3, verse 21. It's a huge turning point. There's a big but there. But now, he says, Paul literally, it's a, it's a big sharp turn. He's talking about sin, 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 all this stuff. And then he says, but now, and it's this big, huge turn, a uh, big, huge uh, uh, deviation. Then he's laid all this groundwork. He's talked about all the sin. He, he had to talk about that sin because we won't appreciate what's comes, what comes next through the rest of the book if we don't get a picture of the gravity of sin. But now, Paul turns the corner. Now he's getting the good stuff. And so I want to read Romans 3. 21 through 31. But now, apart from the law of righteous, of the righteousness of God, uh, excuse me, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law that is by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. A lot of stuff there. Let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, try to, try to dig some, some nuggets of truth out of it. We, we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. We don't measure up. We can't measure up. We can't follow the law enough to be seen as right in God's eyes. But now, there's good news. Even for us sinners, Paul says. Uh, there, uh, Paul, it comes right Uh, right back to what he kicked off in verses 16 and 17. The good news of the gospel, verse 17, he says the righteousness of God is being revealed here in in 3, uh, 21 and and following. He says the same thing. The the righteousness of God is being made known, he says. There's an answer to the problem of sin. That answer has a name. His name is Jesus, and he has provided a way out of that sin into righteousness. Righteousness. Paul uses three different images or metaphors in these uh, couple of verses uh, uh, to to describe how God has worked on our behalf. The first uh, metaphor, and the one that's really prominent and prevalent throughout the entire passage, is uh, is, is all about uh, lawyers and judges in courtrooms and and uh, uh, talking about being justified, uh, justification, righteousness, uh, and justification, and the law, and and that kind of is uh, is is a metaphor that that comes in and out throughout this uh, this passage. I ran across across a story this week about uh, uh, observing the the letter of the law. 
It seems that a lawyer uh, purchased a box of very rare and expensive cigars and then insured them uh, so that they wouldn't, uh, in case they came to any damage. Part of his insurance policy include ins- included uh, insurance against fire. Some of you are already there. Within a month, having smoked his entire stockpile of these great cigars, the lawyer filed a claim with the insurance company, and in his claim, the lawyer stated that the cigars were lost, quote, in a series of small fires. The insurance company refused to pay, citing the obvious reason that the man had consumed the cigars in a normal fashion, and the lawyer sued them, and believe it or not, won the case. Stay with me. Delivering the ruling, the judge agreed with the insurance company that this was a frivolous claim. Uh, however, he said that the, uh, the, the lawyer did indeed hold a policy from the insurance company which it had warranted them uh, that, that the cigars were indeed insurable against many things, including fire, uh, but they hadn't defined what, a, what an acceptable uh, fire or unacceptable fire was. And so they were obligated to pay the claim, rather endure a, a lengthy uh, trial and all those things. They, they just uh, paid out of court $15,000 to the lawyer uh, for his loss of these cigars in these fires. But after the lawyer cashed the check, the insurance company had him arrested on 24 counts of arson. With his own insurance claim and the testimony from the previous case being used against him, the lawyer was convicted of intentionally burning his insured property and was sentenced to 24 months in jail and a $24,000 fine. We get in trouble sometimes when we try to follow the letter of the law, right? Uh, we we want to be held to the letter of the law or we want to hold other people to the letter of the law. Uh, actually, laws are great things. I mean, if we had no laws, uh, that, that would be a problem. Laws keep order. They, they make a society civilized. Uh, in the Old Testament, God established numerous laws. Uh, of course, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Well, there's, a, there's actually five books at the beginning of our Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five are, are what were known uh, even back in Paul's day and before that as the, the Law of Moses or the Book of the Law or the Torah or the, the Pentateuch. Uh, the, all those things uh, would, would refer to these first five books of the Bible, the books of the law. And God had laid out uh, laws for these people, uh, his people, the, the Jewish people, to follow. Uh, now, the, the Bible in Paul's day would have included that, but would have also uh, had uh, the writings of the prophets involved uh, in his Bible as well. Much of what we would call the Old Testament would have been what Paul would, ha- would have had as his Bible. Uh, it, it, would have, it would have included uh the, the writings like we have of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Habakkuk and Malachi and, and all, the, all the rest in there, uh, the, the writings of the prophets. And Paul said that, that all those writings, he said the law and the prophets, he mentions it right there in, in verse 21, the, the, the law and the prophets are great, but only as they point to the righteousness of God in Jesus. Throughout this passage, Paul says that truly following God has to be more than just following the letter of the law. And so he talks about justification. Justification is a big word that uh, if you've heard it before, you probably relate it to church stuff. It's one of those big church words that we don't really use normally in the, uh, the, the whole scheme of life and, and real life. Uh, I've heard about this somewhere, somehow, maybe I sat through a, a membership class and, at church and they talked about justification. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm still not quite sure what it is, but it's a church word. 
Well, back in Paul's day, it wouldn't have been a church word. Uh, it would have been a courtroom word. It would have been, it would have immediately drawn the attention of people toward the courtroom and toward the law and, uh, and, and somebody be, being justified would, would be holding them to justice. Now that, 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 then we can relate to that justice, justification. There needs to be justice. So, uh, so when these Roman Christians, uh, when they heard Paul talking about justification, they would have had in their minds uh, that the, the, they need to uh, would have been justification would have been following the law uh, enough in order to somehow uh, gain God's favor in order to be justified in His eyes. I'm I'm doing what you said, God. I'm following the law, and because I'm following the law, you like me, right? Uh, I, I'm doing good. I'm following the law. For the Jews, that would have been what they, they'd grown up with. For the Gentiles, they probably would have felt like uh, more like second-class Christians because they didn't have the law, and, and then the Jews were talking about the law, and, and they were finding out these things, and they were, oh, do I have to do that too? And, and, and what's going on? Paul turns the whole thing on its ear while still maintaining that the law is good. It, it's just that you can't earn your salvation. So here's, here's, a, here's a picture of um, of how Paul says it works, and, and would have been the scene that uh, that that these Roman Christians would have would have had in their minds when he talked about all this uh, talk of of justification and righteousness and how it didn't necessarily rely on the law. So so just just kind of picture this with me, if you will. You're in a courtroom. You are in behind the defendant's desk. Things haven't gone very well throughout the trial. The evidence is stacked against you. You've sinned. You've fallen short of the mark. You haven't upheld the law. You've broken the law. And so the judge's gavel falls down and he pronounces with an echo through the halls of the, of justice, uh, guilty. There's no hiding it. There's no denying it. You know you are indeed guilty as charged. Paul has said it. In many different ways over the past uh, two and a half chapters here in, in Romans. And, and he summarizes it in, in the familiar words of Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The sentence is high. Only one thing can pay for the crime of sin against God. And so you stand in order to be led away to death row. That's, that's the picture. That's the scene. Then a surprising thing happens. The judge immediately stands up from his high desk, begins to take off his robe of, uh, of, of justice, and presents himself as the prisoner, stating that he will serve the sentence on your behalf. That's the picture laid out in, in these verses. Everyone who believes, uh, Paul says, is justified freely. We're sinful people, we're guilty, we deserve the death sentence, but God has pronounced us not guilty because he has provided the, the penalty be, to be served in, in our place. Jesus, who in very nature, God, he is God, was God, Jesus, part of God, he is God, took our place and paid the penalty, served the term uh, for, for our sin. He took our place on death row. So God looks through the cross at our guilt and pronounces us free. We're freely justified. The sentence has been served. That's, that, that's one, one metaphor uh, that, uh, that, that, that uh, Paul is using here. And it's throughout uh, this, this book. It's throughout uh, the, the Bible when we're talking about being justified. One, one great way to remember being ju- what being justified is all about is when God looks at my life, uh, because of Jesus, it's... Just as if I'd never sinned. 
I learned that somewhere in Sunday school sometime, and, and uh, if you hadn't, now you did. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So, so it's not that I didn't sin, but because what Jesus has done, he's served the, the, the penalty for me, he's served the sentence, he's fulfilled the requirements, the, the, the things that were required, uh, the death that I earned because of my sin, Jesus has, has served that. And so it's just as if I'd never sinned. We're guilty as charged. We haven't followed the letter of the law, but because of Jesus, God sees the sentence served. It's grace. It's offered freely. Now, this is the first time, this passage here uh, is the first time that we see the word grace uh, again since we first saw it in the fifth verse of the of the letter. When Paul is kind of his introduction, he's talking about, he mentions grace kind of in passing as he's, as he's explaining all this stuff. Uh, we don't see it again he, until... Here at the end of chapter three, it's it's been all about sin, right? Uh, it's it's he's been talking about sin and and all those things and and all that, but now all of a sudden he says you're justified freely, and and uh, and so now it's it's not all about sin anymore. It's all about grace. It's all about that grace, about that grace. Well, we better not sing that. I don't know. Probably shouldn't have gone there. Paul comes back to this uh, law and grace language later in the passage, but he changes metaphors here, kind of midstream. So he's talking about the the whole courtroom scene and the whole sentence served thing, and and how I'm not guilty anymore. Uh, I'm guilty, but uh, but I'm not held to that because because Jesus has served the penalty, and he's talked about all that. And then he shifts metaphors there in in verse 24 to help us understand uh, some other thing that's also happening here. It's not just that the the judge, God, the judge, has pronounced us uh, guilty, but Jesus has served our sentence. Uh, he uses the word redemption, saying that, that Jesus' death on the cross provided redemption. And that's a term not out of the courtroom, but straight out of the slave trade of the day. Uh, that that, that, uh, that, that uh, people, slaves, could be redeemed or paid for uh, in order to be set free. It was also used uh, to talk about a ransom paid for prisoners of war. Uh, so so uh, it's all about buying freedom for someone in bondage. Uh, you see how that imagery is a little bit different than the uh, the courtroom scene. Instead of, uh, of being a picture in a courtroom, uh, it's a picture of someone paying the full price for your freedom. Remember, we're all enslaved to sin. Uh, sin is our master. We want to do what we want, when we want, with whomever we want. Uh, we, uh, we, we talked about that at length last week and how, how sin is always turned in on ourselves. Uh, Dr. William Greathouse was a, a, a general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene and a great educator and author, and, and I had him for a class in seminary. He, he, uh, he said it this way once. He said, sin is an overdose of vitamin I. It's, it's, it's all about... It's all about me, right? It's all about what I want. Uh, it's, it's, I, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want God telling me what to do. It, it actually puts me on the throne, uh, and, and I'm going to be in, char- in charge. We can't break free from that. We're, we're sinful. We're slaves to sin. Uh, but on the cross, Jesus paid the price to redeem us, to buy us back, to set us free from sin. So now we can, we can be, as Paul states a couple of chapters later, he says, we're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. But, but it's not an oppressiveness where we're, we're, uh, we're, we're chained to righteousness, but we're free in order to be righteous. 
Remember this, I, I, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the beginning of this letter and Paul is writing uh, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and he says, hey, this is from me, Paul, and, uh, and this is who I am. These are my credentials. The very first thing he lists more, be, before he tells them anything else about himself, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That word is slave. It comes straight from this same uh, imagery that, that Paul has been redeemed from a life of slavery to sin and is now a slave to righteousness, a slave to Jesus Christ. Paul knew that he had been redeemed. Jesus has set him free. And that is possible not just for Paul, not just for these big, great uh, church leaders, but Paul says that that's possible that all who believe can be set free from sin. So we have the metaphor of the courtroom, and, uh, and, and now Jesus has, has served my sentence for me. We have the, 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 the metaphor, the, the picture of, of I'm a slave to sin, but Jesus has paid the ransom because of what he has done on the cross, and now I'm set free. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I can, I'm free to follow Christ. Before we get used to that metaphor, uh, Paul switches it up again and uses the imagery of a sacrifice, the sacrificial altar. Verse 25 says that God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement. Jesus not only served the sentence of our sin and paid the price for our redemption from slavery to sin, he has also been both the priest and the sacrifice providing that sacrifice for our Sin. Maybe you're familiar with the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. God established a series of animal sacrifices that, that were to be offered as, uh, as payment to God because of the people's sin. And so there are different sacrifices for different things. Bottom line is, there needed to be bloodshed. Uh, there's life in the blood and, and, and people are guilty. And so, uh, rather than people, uh, actually paying that, that penalty, the, the temporary way to handle that was animal sacrifices. And so they were all set up. Uh, and so for different sac- different things were different sacrifices and, and then different, uh, different, uh, Types of sacrifices covered different things, and there was a whole system to it that these people followed. In addition to those regular sacrifices, once a year on what was called the Day of Atonement, what we would, uh, you've probably heard of the term Yom Kippur, that's the, that's the, 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 same thing even to this day. It's called the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle there out in the wilderness. God had had, had them build the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, now this was uh, this was uh, this this box, this golden covered box that, that God had told them, uh, build this, put these uh, these angels, these cherubim on top of it, and inside this box you're going to keep some reminders of how I've been been working in your life. So so this was uh, after God had told them to establish this before the uh, before the ark was was lost and then Indiana Jones found it again and um, I might have I don't know David Applegate you might need to set me straight on that a little bit but um, you got the ark of the covenant and it's in the holiest place and uh, and and on top of the ark of the covenant uh, in between the cherubim was called the mercy seat the, the, this was the place where once a year the, the high priest would come in and would offer sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where the presence of God was, was said to dwell. And so when God would, would uh, inhabit the, uh, the, the mercy seat, he would see that blood has been shed, that a price had been paid to cover the sins of the people. This was all this uh, when the Jewish people in this in this uh, 
church in Rome heard him talk about the sacrifice of atonement, that's exactly what Paul was talking about. That's exactly what would have come to mind. That, that same term, the sacrifice of atonement, is also uh, wrapped up in this whole uh, idea of the mercy seat and, and God's presence and power being there. God would extend mercy after seeing that blood had been shed for sin. Jesus, Paul says, has been presented as the ultimate sacrifice. Once and for all, a perfect offering to pay for the sins of the world. And so now the cross of Christ, not the, uh, not the, the, the holy of holies and the, the, uh, the, the ark of the covenant and, and all of that. Now the cross has become the mercy seat. And God, uh, because Jesus has shed his blood on the cross, uh, he has provided the sacrificial requirement for the sins of the world. And so God looks at us through what Jesus has done on the cross and pronounces his mercy. Three different pictures. And Paul's kind of wrapping them all up here and saying, all of this takes place because of what Jesus has done for us. Yes, you're sinful. Yes, you're guilty. You're dead in your sins. The wrath of God is being revealed. But the righteousness of God is also being revealed to those who apply Jesus' death to their lives because uh, in doing that, you are saying, Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin. Jesus has paid the ransom to set me free from sin. Jesus has provided the sacrifice so that, so that my, my sins are covered by his blood. Passage really, really sums up the, the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, many, many say that, that if they had to boil down the truth of what God has done for us, the, uh, the, the, the good news of the gospel into just a few sentences, that, that these few verses would be all that we need. Paul gives these three metaphors explaining uh, the, how we can deal with the problem of sin uh, because everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of what pleases God. So God sent Jesus. He, is the, he has served our sentence. He has paid the ransom. He has supplied our sacrifice. All we need to do is believe it, to have faith in Jesus and what he has done. It seems too good to be true. And because it's too good, to, it seems too good to be true, people have tried instead to earn their way into heaven, right? Uh, there are many people who think that if they just do enough good things, if, if they just uh, uh, walk through the, the right steps, the, the religious practices or the good works, then, then they'll be in God's good graces. Uh, because they're religious, because they, they walk through all the things, if they show up at church on time and they, they're attending the right things and they're praying at the right times and, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're kneeling at the right times and they're, 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 they're uh, saying the right prayers and they're walking through all these motions, if they can just say and do the things, all the things that uh, that are required, then God has to smile on them because God, look what I've done. I've done all this stuff. You've got you to like it. Paul says it doesn't work that way. He says salvation, that justification comes to us by grace through faith. There are several key words throughout this passage. I already told you that the whole vocabulary of uh, justification and the law and righteousness, that kind of dominates this passage But there is one word that is used even more than any of those words throughout these verses. Ten times in the uh, the Greek, this is 150 words. Ten times in these 150 words, Paul uses the term faith. Faith. 
So yeah, there's justification and, and all the imagery of the, of the, uh, the law. There's, there's a ransom that's been paid. There's, uh, we've been redeemed. Uh, there's the sacrifice that has been made. Jesus has done all that. But how do we access all that? Well, Paul says over and over and over and over again, it's through faith. That is how we experience justification. That is how we receive grace. That is how we benefit from Jesus' payment for our sin. It's not through good works. It's not through Hail Marys. It's not through church attendance or serving on the church board or hosting a growth group or any host of any other things that we could do. The only way that we access God's gift of grace in our lives is through faith. Preacher and evangelist Paul Washer once had a seminary student send him a message Paul was familiar with this student and, uh, and, uh, the student was afraid that, uh, that he was too bad to enter, enter the ministry. And so he, he emailed, uh, uh, this, this evangelist and said, I, I think I'm too wicked to be in the ministry. And the evangelist emailed back and said, you're right. In fact, you don't know how wicked you are. The young man said, thanks a lot. And, and, uh, the, the evangelist said, friend, your heart is for the Lord and your life is lived in service to him. Your level of sanctification and commitment puts me to shame at times, but I am happy and you are not. Do you know why? Because I have chosen to trust in Christ, and you are still, in part, trying to trust in yourself. Paul says we trust in Christ. That's it. Nothing more in order to access salvation. Too good to be true? We, we want to play a part in this, right? I mean, we want to, we want to check off the list. We want to do good works. And, and certainly, and we'll talk about it again, it's, it's not that I'm saying don't do good works. It's that those works are not going to earn you God's favor. God's favor comes as a gift. And all we have to do is believe it, accept it, accept his gift of salvation. That is all we have to do. The... the Sometimes, though, we want to, we want to check things off a list. We want to, we want to show God how good we are. We want to, uh, maybe, okay, well, it's all about faith. Well, well, I've got more faith than Him, so I'm better than Him, right, God? And we want to, we want to try to do this whole hierarchy thing. Paul says, there's no difference between us. We are all in the same boat. We have all sinned. Even Jews. Even, even Gentiles. Even your saintly grandmother, even Billy Graham, (laughs) you can't take credit for any of this because Jesus has already done it all. Last year, our family went to Niagara Falls. Go ahead. There we are. That nice? That good? It's on my birthday. Fun times. Some, many of you have been there, you know, uh, you've, you've experienced the falls, uh, the force and the magnitude of those falls is just stunning. I've been there many times and it's just amazing as we stood just a few feet away, you know, and the, the water just thundering over the falls. And I have to admit, I have to be honest, I got that little twinge of, oh, maybe I need to step back a little bit. There's some power in that, right? Well, get us off the screen. Go ahead to that other shot that's just, yeah, you don't need to talk about us. There's, there's the, uh, uh, the, the power of the, I think that's the American side of the falls and those rocks at the bottom. Man, ooh. Just bear with me here for a second. Let me, let me kind of uh, lay out uh, an example to maybe flesh out what I've been talking about this morning. 
Suppose that, uh, that I'm upriver from the falls a ways and, uh, and, and I don't really know anything about the falls. I don't know about that sheer drop off that's coming, uh, downstream. And, and suppose I wanted to do a, a little canoeing one day. And the river seems calm enough and so I paddle out from shore and I'm having a good time, but it, it wouldn't take very long. For, for me to be swept downstream with the current and I'd be able to hear the roar of the, of the falls and, and I would know pretty soon that I was in trouble, right? No doubt I would do my best to paddle hard back upstream against the current and uh, even as strong and amazingly studly that I am, I probably wouldn't be able to, uh, to fight against the current. I'm glad there weren't any amens there. I would probably try to, if I, I couldn't go back upstream, I would try to maneuver over to the side, but, but uh, the, the, the sheer force of that current would just drag me along, and, and uh, pretty soon it would be pretty evident uh, to me and anyone else around would, would be pretty evident that I was a goner. But then imagine, uh, in that whole scenario, imagine that I hear a voice from overhead. No, not God, uh, but uh, that there's a rescue helicopter that has come, and there's a, a, a rope dangling down, and a voice over a speaker saying, do you want to be rescued? Now, at first, it might cross my mind to say, no, thanks, I got this, got it, thanks. But the reality and the gravity of the situation, if it really did set into me that I realized that there, there is no way that I would make it through this, I would yell back up and say, yes, I want to be rescued. Because there's no hope of a positive outcome left to my own strength. So then the instruction would come from the rescue crew, grab the rope and hold on tight. And of course, I would grab that rope with everything I've got, uh, unable to do anything uh, on my own except just that, because I'd gotten myself into a pretty big mess. I would cling on to that rope in hope and faith in this lifeline that had been provided for me. That rope attached to the helicopter would lift me from the boat uh, seconds before that canoe falls over the, uh, the, 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 the edge and is smashed on the rocks below. That is a modern-day illustration of what Paul is talking about here in Romans 3. But there's, there's even more to it. Imagine that after I was rescued from that harrowing ordeal, the news reporters came and were interviewing me about my experience, and, and I began to explain to them how smart I was to have owned a bright red canoe that could be seen from the air so well. And I would explain to them how skillful I was to be able to maneuver my boat under that helicopter just the right place at just the right time. And I explained to them how coordinated I was to be able to, to grab that rope and how strong I was to be able to hold on to it all the way until it got me to, to, to shore. That would be pretty ridiculous of me. Probably done more ridiculous things in my life. But not only would it be ridiculous of me to say all that, but it would also be an insult to the rescue team standing behind waiting to be interviewed next. Because it was nothing that I did, right? Uh, all I did was get into a mess where I needed to be rescued. The only part I had to play was to take advantage of the lifeline that was offered. Faith is like grabbing the rope. Paul says in this passage, okay, this is, this is how it is. Uh, yeah, okay, two and a half chapters, uh, you're sinful, where God's wrath is being revealed, and it's not that, that you Jews have it any better because you have the law. We're all sinful. You're all in the same boat. But now, 
The righteousness of God is being revealed because Jesus has come and he has served your sentence. Jesus has come and he has redeemed you from a life of sin. Jesus has come and paid the sacrifice for your sin by grace. So then he asks the question, where is boasting then? (laughs) He answers his own question. It is excluded (laughs) because we are all just recipients of the grace of God in Jesus. All I did was grab the rope. I had nothing else to do except just grab the rope. He's the one who has saved me from certain death. There is no earning being saved from sin. Salvation is a gift. It is freely given. You are undeserving. We sang about earlier. You are guilty. You are a slave to sin. We all are. A a price has to be paid. We have no hope unless someone extends mercy. And someone did. His name is Jesus. And his grace is given to everyone who believes. Just grab the rope. This is the gospel in a nutshell. If we just had these few verses, it would be enough. We're sinful. We need a savior. We have a savior. His name is Jesus. He offers us grace and forgiveness if we just accept it. Maybe today you've done that. At some point in your life, you grabbed the rope. Uh, you've, uh, you've experienced his salvation for your sins. And, and that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And, and I mean, literally for me, as I, as I uh, walk through life, and especially as I gather in worship services like this or, or in conversations with others, it's, it's a celebration of what God has done, right? That, that we can celebrate the fact that, that I didn't have anything to do with it, but God loved me enough to save me despite my sin. And so our response today, uh, if, if you're living in that grace, the response today is simply a response of celebration to say, yeah, isn't God good? It, it is me. It's all him. Let's point to him. Let's celebrate him and what he has done. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Maybe some point in your life you, you, uh, you, you took that step and, and you, you did grab the rope but maybe somewhere along the way you've kind of slipped a little bit. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, I mean, I kind of get that and I understand, but, but there's all this that, uh, that has been in between and I'm not sure how, how faithful I've been to follow. Today could be the day that you allow him to truly save you, to turn, turn back to him. Or maybe today you've never grabbed that rope. You've never accepted his gift of of salvation in faith. You know there's stuff in your life that probably shouldn't be there. But you've never really done anything about it. God is ready and waiting. The rope is, is extended. The sacrifice has been made. The ransom has been paid. The sentence has been served. All we have to do is let him set us free. 